Hi, this is Juliette Tablack, also known as Marcy's niece, Amber, and you are listening to the Married with Children podcast. I got a big problem, Hal. Marcy hasn't let go of that Barbie doll since I gave it to her. I need you to do me a, a little favor. Can I do it while I'm reading the magazine? <laughs> you know, that magazine still belongs to me until you pay me for it. What is the favor? I need you to sleep with Marcy. Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a whoop No Man Presents, live from the nudie bar, the Married with Children podcast. Welcome back to the Married with Children podcast. This is Luigi. And with the group of people I'm recording with today, is it any wonder I seek the affections of sleazy barmaids and 25-cent movies? Chris here. I'm watching a very important program. It's called Superman. And this is Annabelle. And I've gone to the super tampons lately myself. And this is Carolyn, who never even wanted a Barbie doll because she was too busy playing with her Star Trek dolls. Action figures. I mean, action figures. Today we are reviewing Season 9, Episode 8, Sleepless in Chicago. Original air date, October 23rd, 1994. Jefferson learns that the Barbie doll he bought for Marcy on her birthday at an auction is worth a small fortune of $50,000. So he asks Al a big favor. Sleep next to Marcy for the night while he goes out to exchange dolls. In return, Al gets to keep a prized first edition of the magazine Biggins that he bought at the auction with Jefferson's money. Directed by Catherine Green. Written by Catherine Green. Special guest stars. Juliet Tablick as Amber. Alan Troutman as the Barbie file. And Kenneth Danziger as auctioneer. Al Bundy is missing. His remote is cold. And the toilet seat is dry. And you won't believe where he's hiding. Maybe he's with another woman. <laughs> is Al cheating on Peg? Wanna take me again? Married with Children, Sunday at 9, 8 Central on Fox. So welcome back, everyone. We have a special guest co-host tonight, Carolyn. Welcome back. Thanks. Thanks, Luigi. It's great to be back. And we also have Annabelle, who took the 24-hour flight from Australia back to the U.S. to join us in the American nudie bar. Yeah, thank you. As soon as the borders reopened, I thought, well, I'm getting on this flight. Good choice. <laughs> One thing I'd like to point out is that Annabelle and Carolyn are like the founding FANG members of uh, the Married with Children uh, uh, research that we have out on the Internet. <laughs> So this is actually a little reunion for you two, right? Or maybe first union. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, Carolyn, do you want to tell us a little bit about like, you know, how you and uh, Annabelle met up? Well, it was a long time ago. Children, there was once a thing called Usenet. And it was pre-graphic, all text. It was on the ARPANET, original ARPANET. It was sort of a group chat. You could, you could type as much as you wanted, and some people would write little essays every week. I'm looking in the mirror here. And but it was but it was a and you couldn't you couldn't share any pictures or anything like that. But 
but it was a good it was threaded like twitter and it was a good way to share thoughts and to be in, in a time before there were well there was much of it there were no message boards or anything like that yet it was sort of a prototypical message board and you had to think about what you wanted to write and although i haven't met annabelle face to face i have met to, i have met face to face several people that that i met over that message board over the years so that's where we met yeah, alt.tv.mwc. I remember it fondly. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's a pity you can't really find anything anymore because I remember reading a lot of great stuff from the 90s, you know, when people used to go to tapings, especially in season 9 and, and 10. I tried to get as much info as I could, but there's so much that I've missed, but I remember reading. And if you go to Google, they do have Google groups and you can search, but you, you just get too much spam and, and things that don't date back all the way where you want it to. But it might be there in the depths of the internet. But yeah, I remember Caroline there and I'm thinking, oh, cool, another woman, because I was I was a teenager back then. And yeah, <laughs> nothing much has changed, but there are more women these days. But yeah, it was very much a sausage fest, but yeah. I was like, oh, Carolyn. <laughs> but Carolyn, she was the den mother of this news group, and I, and I I remembered her name, and then I found her on Facebook, and I'm like, oh, please remember me, be my friend, yay. And then she would, because she was, lived in New York, she got what I would call access to David Garrison, and, and anytime someone would appear on stage on Broadway, so and because and I like musical theatre as well, I thought, oh, um, she'd be a cool person to add regardless, but... Yeah, she she finds things about David Garrison that I've I might have missed, and then I'll I'll post it on my page and and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm sort of honoured to speak with you today because yeah, I sort of I looked up to you, but like you're my friend. So yeah, I, I just I just love it when there are female married with children fans, and and when there's fans all over the world, and you know we come together like this. So it's pretty cool. And especially when someone's such a good writer and such a good organizer as Annabelle. Oh, <laughs> yeah. you know, she's our grand high poobah when it comes to uh, married with children trivia, right? We all bow down to her every week. <laughs> yeah, I definitely got to that. I think it's totally cool to be able to do this with uh, Carolyn and Annabelle. I mean, they're both uh, legendary fans of the show. And uh, Carolyn has one of the coolest uh, fan stories that I can remember. She mentioned it in the uh, episode we reported last season about how she solved the infamous lost epi- uh, lost episode about what what was it we determined about? Uh, I'll see you in court. In- yeah, I'll see you in court. You saw it roughly what about ten years before the rest of the. I United did. States? Yes, yes. I got a I got a um a uh, secret videotape from Belgium with Flemish subtitles about a year after it aired from my friend Alec de Rolk from All TV yeah, is- that is so cool. I remember the days of tape trading. I had to go to yeah. a video store in Harvard Square to get it converted because it was not it was in PAL format. That was real dedication. Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember stores that used to have uh, used to have to do that. Like if you got a tape, like you know, I had relatives in Italy. You know, they would send the tape over, so you had to get them all done. I mean, now what is it? Like the DVD players, uh, they're region encoded, right? Yes. You know, that's how they they try to make extra money by not selling things in one format that can be viewed worldwide. But I think YouTube has gotten around that, right? Pretty much, yes. Yeah. When, when, I was, when I was looking to buy this episode to watch it today, I was amazed at the number of options that I had to be able to see it. Yeah, to buy it, Carolyn, we could have sent you free links. We know, we know where to find it, this stuff for free. Um, yeah, we can hook you up. <laughs> 
So the title of this episode is a pun on the movie Sleepless in Seattle, a 1993 American romantic comedy directed and co-written by Nora Ephraim, based on a story by Jeff Arch. It stars Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, alongside a supporting cast featuring Bill Pullman, Ross Malinger, Rob Reiner, Rosie O'Donnell, Gabby Hoffman, Victor Garber, and Rita Wilson. Released on June 25, 1993, the film was a critical and commercial success, grossing over $227 million worldwide. Okay, so we open this episode with Al on the couch watching Superman. Not, not Psycho Dad, for once. Hi, Daddy. Look at this. The bad guys shoot Superman a dozen times, see the bullets bounce off, so they throw their guns at him. <laughs> it's like they can't kill him, so they think they can give him a really bad bruise. <laughs> what a bunch of morons. Yeah, I, I really love the, the line that Al says. He says, you know, the bad guy shoots Superman a dozen times and, and see the bullets bounce off, so they throw their guns at him. It's like, what, they just think they'll give him a bad bruise? <laughs> 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 I can listen to Al like do you guys remember Mystery Science Theater 3000? Yes. Yes, I I could listen to him do that all day. <laughs> he would have been he would have been natural for that show. <laughs> <laughs> so Kelly enters wearing a brunette wig. Daddy, do you notice anything different about me? No, son. <laughs> Tell her to come in. I am already in. And I am wearing a brunette wig. Why, you ask? Because I got picked to do a public service announcement. And I decided that I should do it as a brunette, since blondes have a reputation for being dumb. Which we all know is just a stereo system. Now, on episode one of this season, we talked about how Kelly had cut her hair. So, uh, Annabelle and Carolyn, like, what are your thoughts on Kelly's haircut? You mean the wig, she's, we the wig she's wearing or the... Yeah, no, we'll start with her regular haircut and then we'll talk about the wig. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt and I discussed it a bit in um, episode two this season in Driving Mr. Boondy. Yeah, uh, we sort of talked about how Christina kind of said, you yeah, I'm just going to cut my hair and she did I don't mind the haircut uh, at this current stage I mean later in the season uh, at the end of the season it gets really short I'm not crazy about that hairdo but at the moment it's fine it's it and and she looks really nice um but it's sort of not that classic Kelly look is it so uh, I'm in two minds Exactly, because I think the problem is that, I mean, I mean, I like it. I mean, Christina Applegate, you know, she's, a, she's just a gorgeous woman. But she, her, her jaw is a little on the wide side, and I think, the, I think the, longer, the longer hair to frame it is a bit better than the shorter hair. And also, it's obvious that this is like a nice, low-maintenance haircut, which is good for, good for Christina. But Kelly, I, I think Kelly is the kind of girl who spends an hour getting ready in the morning and doesn't think twice about it. Yes, so, you know, so, yes. so I, I, would think, I would think that Kelly would do, have something a little more a little more uh, fussy. So, uh, Chris, the two bald males in this group uh, will remain mute. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're experts on you. Come on. <laughs> so what do you think about the brunette wig? I mean, it actually looked pretty natural on her, for me, from my perspective. It did. It did. She, um, Annabelle, she has, like, gray eyes, right? Uh, she has green eyes, yeah. Oh, green eyes, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think the brunette, it wasn't like, 
it was like really dark brown instead of like totally black. So I think it looked, I think it looked really good too. Yeah, I think if it was like jet black, it would, would look not as great and like very fake. But this dark brown, yeah, I think it looks good on her and um, with what she's wearing too. Yes, very very harmonious. Yeah. Yeah, it's like they put some thought into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think she looks great. I'm just saying, it's a new, it's a new, fresh look. You know, the shorter hair. I think it looks great. Sometimes you got to switch it up. It's not the classic Kelly, but more power too. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Kelly says this line is: I, I decided I should do it. Uh, I should do it as as a brunette, since blondes have a reputation for being dumb, which we all know is just a stereo system, <laughs> as opposed to a stereotype. <laughs> But, you know, right. <laughs> you know, I said this in episode one. So Kelly is like has become the crown princess of malapropisms. You know, so on TV, famously, I mentioned that in 901, Archie Bunker was really well known for being a person who always have, you know, some kind of malapropism. You know, and again, I'm using a big word. <laughs> in other words, like she's get, getting the words mixed up. So stereo system versus a stereotype. But they seem to be writing her. Whoever's writing kelly in season nine is really going hard on this and i think almost every single episode that we see i think from now through season 11 you know she has at least one of them mm. yeah well, well she delivers them very well you know she's, she's not thinking about what she's saying she's just saying it and and she has no idea that she's made a mistake she doesn't ever catch herself or anything i kind of like that yeah, and I do like that joke too because it's sort of a, a double joke because she's talking about blondes being dumb. And I remember, um, I can't remember what the situation was, but at university once or, or college, I played just that little exchange in, I had to give a talk on something and I, I kind of, I'm struggling to remember what it was now. Clearly important, but I played that little that little clip of Kelly's exchange and her joke there and the people in the class, they're like, they sort of laughed and then this guy at the back just goes, oh classic <laughs> did he mean classic kelly or classic blonde oh just, i don't know because i think he just meant married to children in, in general i'm not sure but i just i'm struggling to remember what the class that was <laughs> oh well well you know like what i'll say is it's like if you think about i remember like for example watching i love lucy in the 80s right so that was 30 years in the past and laughing at that type of humor and here we are 30 years later talking about married children which is now a classic mm, <laughs> makes us yeah. feel a little old just a little uh, that, that's for me to, to think of very you know because as i've mentioned many times before i watched this when i was a kid you know starting really in um, elementary school way before i should have really but uh it's so funny for me to think of marriage of children as a classic it kind of makes me so old <laughs> But uh, I always love Christina Applegate's delivery of of her lines. And you see, I've always said, I I think it takes a really, really brilliant performer to accurately portray a dumb person. Because if 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 the the actor or actress is not good or talented, it's just going to be stupid when they try to act stupid. And it's not going to be funny, but Christina Applegate always delivers it, man. She always delivers the good. She's just a brilliant performer. And when the yeah. writing is on point, when the writing is on point for her, it, it just hits a home run every time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, it's that classic thing of a fool playing a fool doesn't work. You need a smart person playing a fool. It goes f- for Al as well. Absolutely. Back. Yep. Okay, so Kelly asks Al what he's watching on TV, 
and he tells her that it's Superman. Pumpkin Daddy is watching a very important program. It's called Superman. What's the big S stand for? Straight. Can't be too careful when you take your pants off in a phone booth. <laughs> One of my friends, my friend Jose, uh, he loved that line. I think uh, he's quoted that line to me plenty of times. <laughs> but you know, you know, Luigi, people are not going to know what a phone booth is pretty soon. Yeah, you know, and that's <laughs> that's one of the things that. Um, <laughs> If you think about, you know, uh, Chris had mentioned that in season eight, you know, when was the last time he'd used a payphone, right? <laughs> I, mean, like, I mean, probably 20 years at this point. Mm-hmm. There's, still, there's still a few left in New York City in Midtown for all the folks. Right. Yeah. I think they've turned some of those into like internet kiosks, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. I was I was talking to a kid the other day and I granted this kid was probably at seven or eight years old maybe this kid didn't know what a dvd player was because everything is everything is streamed now when you think about it i mean i I mean i have a dvd player and player and i have a whole library of dvds and blu-rays but if you think about it if you were born let's say you were born seven or eight years ago there's a good chance that you might not know what a dvd player is a blu-ray player as weird as that sounds you know it's scary you're right yeah yeah, I mean, I mean, I still take pride that I know how to operate a Betamax. <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> so one thing I want to point out here, uh, Al uh, loves his television. And there was a line that Al says a few times over the course of the episode, over the course of the series, which is Great Caesar's Ghost. So that comes from Superman. So we're making the assumption that he's watching the 1950s version of the Superman uh, TV show, which stars George Reeves. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth justice and the American way. And now, another exciting episode in the adventures of Superman. Right. Yeah, yeah that, that, that was rerun a lot, a lot, a lot in the 70s and 80s. I remember that as well. Uh, you know, Carolyn, I remember it, I think it ran on Channel 9, if I'm not mistaken. It would, it would either be 9 or 11. Those were our non-network syndicated channels. Yeah. It was cheap, <laughs> cheap or uh, free content. Yep. Yeah, yep. I talked about that on the uh, Worst Noel episode about how, you know, things used to be. Like now you don't – like that kind of stuff you don't see it that often unless there's probably a cable network, that a cable station that's devoted to it. But that used to be what was on over the air, you know, like on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon. That's how I remember it in the 80s. Yeah, and sometimes they play movies, movies at night, old movies, but with commercials in them, but kind of like TCM does now. 
Now go away, honey. I'm studying this kryptonite thing. If it'll stop Superman, it might just work on your mother. Fine. You never pay any attention to me. It's probably why I seek the cash and affection of older men. That's nice, pumpkin. And I do pay attention. Ah. <laughs> uh. Kelly's got a great line. It's, you know, you never pay any attention to me. It's why I seek the cash and affection of older men. Ooh. Yeah, you know, I, I love lines like that. I love when they have, I love when any of these characters have sudden flashes of self-awareness. Yeah. Even if it's out, <laughs> even if it's out, of, if it's out of nowhere like this, suddenly they just sort of, uh, they sort of like utter this total truth. And yeah, yeah, so this is one of Kelly's. And I've always liked that line. It makes an uh, human uh, for a minute, you know what I mean? Like, you know, obviously this is a comedy show and not meant to, for the most part, it's not meant to be taken seriously. It's just supposed to be for laughs. But when you uh, have moments of self-awareness like that, it makes the characters human and more lovable, you know? Yeah. Okay, so now Kelly exits and Bud enters. And Bud is now turning into Al because he comes in with an Al type of opening line. Hi, right, Peg. <laughs> it's me, Dad. I gotta tell you about my day. I had to give a driving test to a woman who was so fat, they had to shoot her driver's license photo with the Hubble telescope. <laughs> Son, listen to me. I don't have time for one of your shaggy fat woman stories. You never listen to anyone. I listen to Superman. <laughs> he and Clark are very wise. <laughs> You're a sick man, Dad. Hey, you're not a sick person just because you watch Superman. You're a sick person if you think you really are Superman. <laughs> That's great. So the Hubble Space Telescope was launched into low Earth orbit in 1990 and remains in operation to the present. It was not the first space telescope, but it was one of the largest and most vert versatile well-known both as a vital research tool and as a public relations boon for astronomy. When it was launched, its main mirror had been ground incorrectly, resulting in spherical aberration that compromised the telescope's capabilities. The optics were corrected to their intended quality by a servicing mission in 1993. So I don't know if you guys remember that, but that was really big news because it was considered like a big NASA blunder. Oh, yeah. And then they had to do a spacewalk in 93 to fix it. I followed all that because I was living in Boston, which is very academic and science oriented. And there were, we had a show at the uh, planetarium at the Museum of Science for that. So again, you know, like, this is also a time capsule of like what's happening, what's current in the world in 1994 when this episode was airing for the first time. There's a line, Al says, I don't have time for one of your shaggy fat woman stories. So Annabelle, <laughs> what's a, what is that a reference to? Because you put that in the notes. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I just added it because it's an odd thing for Al to say if you don't know what a shaggy dog story is. Yeah, well, a shaggy dog story is really just an interminably long tale, often told by, what, men sitting on their front porch to anyone who will listen and things like that. But I just love the hypocrisy of Al telling Bud he doesn't have time for his fat woman story. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, Al can, he, he, can, he can dish out the shaggy fat woman stories, but he can't take them. Mm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> One other funny thing about this, uh, you know, you put in the notes that 
Bud is now telling fat women stories like Al, uh, he's sort of going through the same script that Kelly went through when she was working at the diner. That's right. I remember she came home. Yeah. Uh, she telling, you know, a fat woman came into the diner today. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Sort of the yeah, that, that was when she was working at the um, at the, the, the TV place. It's like where she had to hotwire the Starship, Starship Enterprise and make it go where no man has gone before. <laughs> uh, sorry there was another line of Al's that I thought was really interesting he told Bud about Superman he and Clark are very wise guys do you think that Al thinks they're two different people or do you think he knows better I was wondering this myself when I rewatched the episode last night I'm like does Al really believe they're two separate people or <laughs> <laughs> well you know he's watching a TV show from his youth so you know maybe he still thinks mm. of it as when he was a child be and it was in black and white too right right yeah so bud says you're a sick man dad so al says hey you're not a sick person just because you watch superman you're a sick person if you really think you are superman so now we cut to (laughs) al you know making believe he's (laughs) superman by flying on the couch i love these moments when al goes into fantasy land Mm -hmm. it's just so sweet and his physical comedy is always so good enter jefferson Pig kept me up half the night. Yeah, well, you're lucky. Marcy kept half of me up all night. (laughs) 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 One thing constant about Marcy, her appetites are as large as she is small. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Jefferson tells Al about a memorabilia auction. He wants to buy an original Barbie for Marcy for her birthday. Hey, I'm on my way to a memorabilia auction. I'm going to buy Marcy one of those original Barbie dolls for her birthday. You want to come? No, I don't care much for memorabilia. I live my life in the present. Ooh, ain't Dragnet's on. <laughs> so Dragnet is an American radio, television, and motion picture series enacting the cases of a dedicated Los Angeles police detective, Sergeant Joe Friday, and his partners. The show took its name from the police term Dragnet, meaning a system of coordinated measures for apprehending criminals or suspects. Although the word franchise should not be used to relation to it, as the word was not used in for more than half a century later. Dragnet is perhaps the most famous and influential police procedural drama in media history. So a little bit about Dragnet. I mean, everyone, you know, if somebody says they've never heard of Dragnet, they've probably heard, you know, bum, ba-dum, bum. Um, yep. <laughs> you know, some of the other trademarks from the show were, ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. And um, as well as, you know, the detective who just says, just the facts, ma'am. And these yes. were all cliches in American culture. Uh, what's really interesting was Dragnet had a lot of incarnations. So there were 314 episodes on radio. 1949 to 1957, 276 episodes on TV from 1951 to 1959 in its first television incarnation, 98 episodes from 1967 to 1970, 52 episodes from 1989 to 1991, and 22 from 2003 to 2004. So there are a total of 762 episodes of Dragnet. And what else... uh, Annabelle, take it away. <laughs> well, interesting that that 
2003-2004 incarnation of Dragnet starred the one and only Ed O'Neill. And it, yeah, I don't, yeah, I, I remember when, um, when it was announced and when it came out and all the articles were saying Friday on my mind because he plays Joe Friday. Um, it lasted only two seasons and the first season co-starred um, Ethan Embry or Ethan Randall, um, who was his co-star in Dutch all those years ago. And he's sort of grown up, but um, he was still sort of this young I was going to say second banana, but <laughs> yeah. And then um, in the second season, they got rid of his character, Ethan Embry's character, and they retooled the show, and it was called L.A. Dragnet. And I don't remember a whole lot about that second season, only for the fact that Eva Longoria was in it. Ooh. So they changed the show, and then it got cancelled. So f- from memory, I mean, the first season, it wasn't terrible, and... Ed O'Neill and Ethan Embry had this nice chemistry, and so I'm just why why would they get rid of that partnership and 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 like fuck with the show and then it gets cancelled? It's like well hello, <laughs> but yeah I remember I did see definitely the first season anyway of that and yeah he made a, a, a decent Joe Friday but yeah the show just it it wasn't long for this world. Well, the thing I the funniest about that was when he said I don't have time I live in the present uh, and this is the same guy who. Every chance he gets, he brings up his four touchdowns and that he scored in high school football. <laughs> you're right. You're right. <laughs> he talked about stuff that took, you know, 20 years earlier. <laughs> hey, he's probably watching a dragon from about the same era, 1966. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. Enter Peg holding a concertina. what I want at bingo. A concertina! Come on, Jefferson, we'll be late for that auction. Now, let me ask you, do you think she's actually playing that? Well, um, she seen that with an accordion before. I don't know if she was playing that either. She looked like she was playing the accordion briefly but the concertina i don't think she is because that first song in particular looks very um overdubbed and i th- and she can probably could play it for all i know but her fingers aren't moving so probably not oh you're gonna yeah. sharper eyes than me yeah she was squeezing it that's about it yeah <laughs> so the music comes from a song called blow the man down which is an english sea shanty The lyric, blow the man down, most likely refers to a common mishap at sea during the age of sail, wherein a strong, sudden gale catches a ship with its top sails fully set, the force of the wind, depending upon the load and balance of the ship's cargo, and can actually blow the man down or blow the man of war into the water, partially capsizing it. So that's what what it actually means. I never knew that until we looked this up. Oh. So one of the things... You know, I, I just want to comment about like Peg's musical selection. So if you remember in season two and All in the Family, you know, when they start singing, you know, uh, You Are My Sunshine, and she's like, oh, it's like, let's do a hoot nanny. It's like, I, I guess this is, I guess, the type of music that's popular in Ranker County. Yeah, I assume so. Yeah, it, it's very old fashioned and it, it's over 100 years old, which helps with the uh, rights and that you don't, pay, <laughs> you, you don't have to pay anybody for them. That's the point. So. <laughs> 
And I, I love the way Al dances way out the door, doing a hornpipe out the door. <laughs> oh, I, I made a note of that. It's so silly. So now we cut to Alan Jefferson at the auction. Do I have another bid? So, for $3,200, Michael Jackson's original nose. <laughs> so the first item up for bid is Michael Jackson's nose. Original nose, <laughs> which sold for $3,200. <laughs> bargain <laughs> it'd be worth a lot more now <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh and annabelle i don't know if this is true in australia but here all the best auctioneers are british if you want like a an auctioneer character they almost always have to be british unless they're in the country and might need to talk really fast <laughs> yeah I, th- I think yeah yeah i mean all the auctions i've seen on tv are, are probably british shows but yeah i, I certainly believe that yeah yeah, you know, I had a coworker uh, many years ago uh, who, who was in London, and he came to the, uh, New York for about a month to visit. And you know, we would go out to dinner and lunch, and you know, he, he made a comment to me. He's like, he's like, you know, I, I open up this uh, American television, and it's like I hear these British accents. Like I think it was like the Geico commercial was like one of them, the Gecko. And a a couple of others, it's like, you know, why do they use British accents? It's like, well, you know, when they want to seem smart, they use a British accent. And what he told me was that in the UK, they use American accents for the same thing. Oh, okay. Well, considering recent history, that's very nice to hear, actually. (laughs) I hope it's still true. But but I guess that's a question then. So Annabelle, like like so what like what do you get in Australia? Like I mean like like if, in other words, if you were to hear like an advertising an American accent versus a British accent, like what like here for us, the only time we hear an Australian accent, I think, is when it's for Fosters. <laughs> <laughs> it's either that or a Crocodile Dundee movie, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was literally about to say I bet Crocodile Dundee or the the guy from the Energizer commercials. I oh, I don't know if you got him. Yeah, I think you did. But um, yeah, I don't, I'm, try, I'm trying to think because we get American commercials, but they dub overdub them all in Australian accents, or at least they used to before we started making more of our own. But So I'm trying to think where I've heard an auctioneer. I think they have used a British auctioneer more often, but maybe they've just used anyone who isn't Australian, or they've just used an Australian because we can talk pretty fast. So... Yeah, I, I can't actually think of an example <laughs> at the moment. Outback Steakhouse is the one that we have. Annabelle, I don't, I don't know if you guys have Outback Steakhouse restaurants there, but that, that's another one that we have here in America. That's it, uh, definitely an Australian accent, Tommy. Yes, that's right. Oh, yeah. yeah cause, the yeah. famous Bloomin' Bloom just... Onion. <laughs> God. I, I had some friends who went to America a few years ago, and they went to an Australian Outback restaurant, and they looked at the menu and they said, Half of this stuff is not Australian at all. <laughs> oh, don't, don't worry. Annabelle, we, we know that too. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it goes both ways. But yeah, we do have Outback restaurants here and it's, just, it's all steak and beer. <laughs> <laughs> not Foster's though. <laughs> right. No, VB, right? Nothing like VB. Vic Bitter, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well done. <laughs> It's interesting. We like, drink more and more like Mexican beer. Um, I was going to say Corona, but that's a that's a sensitive <laughs> topic at the moment. But uh, yeah, a lot of yeah, because you go to a Mexican restaurant, you're going to have a Corona with a lime wedge in it. Or but an outback 
a steakhouse type restaurant, yeah, you're probably going to get a large schooner of beer or a, a German beer. You have something a little bit more exotic because you can get Australian beer anytime. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I hope the Barbie bidding stays low. I only brought two grand. Two grand for a Barbie doll. Real woman isn't worth that much. <laughs> <laughs> as i as i recall in the in the episode in season six when al takes bud to the nudie bar for the first time he says that you shouldn't spend more than six bucks on a woman oh boy. do you remember that <laughs> yeah it was like it was al it was al's whole paycheck he's like you know but remember son you know don't spend it all at once remember six dollars more to spend <laughs> it's too much to spend on any woman well obviously yeah, neither of them have been dating <laughs> nope. I mean, I, I mean, in New York City, if you want to take someone out, I mean, like if, if I'm going out for the night, I mean, I know that I will be at a minimum at least a hundred bucks uh, poor. Oh sure. I mean, easy. I mean, if I have to pay for parking, that's at least one hundred and fifty right there. <laughs> oh. I mean, yeah. six bucks. I don't think that'll get you like a hot and spicy from McDonald's, really. Right? <laughs> a hot and spicy from McDonald's would probably be more. Well, Chris, maybe the dollar menu. We have the, we have the dollar menu up here. So yeah. Yeah. small fries, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Small, small everything. Yeah. What's a hot and spicy? It's like a dollar. Go get the dollar menu chicken uh, sandwich. It's it's not good. You're not missing anything. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, maybe that's why we don't have it. <laughs> it's like literally like bottom of the barrel. If you're just like paycheck to paycheck and looking for something to basically that's what it is well you know you could get you could get a um what we call a dirty water hot dog and a coke so (laughs) yeah the the, uh the push carts the push cart hot dogs they're called dirty water hot dogs it's not not dirty dirty water dogs what 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 do they go for about two bucks now i would say uh if if tourist area tourist area is 250 or three but most of them are two yeah yeah i don't work in manhattan i haven't worked in manhattan in almost 10 years so uh, nobody, nobody's working yeah, in Manhattan right but, now. But you know, I would say that was probably about the going rate, like you know, one fifty to two bucks. Yes. Yep. Uh, and it's they're really good, good though. I mean, and you know, that's the one thing. They, they are. Excellent. Yeah, you don't see those anymore e- either. It's like I'd say, like you know, if you go back to the '80s, pretty much you could buy a hot dog, a knish, you know, a pretzel. A, a pretzel. But nowadays, it's like all the halal carts. Uh, you know, I mean, they have yeah. all these gourmet stuff, but I mean. I mean, the only time you could get something different back then was maybe like, you know, I grew up in Astoria, you know, you get souvlaki, but that was it. That's right. That's right. But it's like, but now it's, but now it's like, you know, pretty much it's like you want gourmet, a gourmet lobster roll, or you want like a fish taco, <laughs> like they got a card for it. Mm-hmm. You, you know, th- and, until, until things shut down, there was, there was a lobster stand in Times Square. So, nice. <laughs> an actual lobster stand. Yeah. Pretty funny. Nice. Pretty funny. If you come to Australia, you get, um, or in, in Adelaide in particular, we have pie carts, and because uh, Adelaide's famous for its pie floater, and that may sound odd. Okay. <laughs> Basically, it's a. <laughs> I'm not doing it any favors, but it's a pie served upside down in a bowl of peas, like 
hot mushy peas kind of thing and a bit of sauce on top. That's a pie floater. And it's just a famous thing that we have here. But I'm seeing fewer and fewer pie carts, not just because of um, the current situation, but just in general. But I got my, I was at a pie cart once and I got my picture taken for the local paper. <laughs> and it's like, oh, Annabelle Whitford is enjoying a pie floater. Disclaimer, I've never had a pie floater in my life. <laughs> During the picture. Yeah, he just served it up and I uh, just uh, I was told to pose with the picture with some other random guy who happened to be there and they just snapped my picture for the paper. And I never saw the, the article. Uh, I saw the article, but I never actually got a copy, so I, I don't have proof of that, but it was just the, the like the free city paper kind of thing. Now, now, Annabelle, when you said pie, are you talking about like a sweet pie, like like an apple pie or, or like a mince pie? Yeah, um, I should clarify... Yes, uh, a mince, uh, a meat pie. So a hot meat pie, not not a sweet pie, like American would think apple pie or anything like that. But yeah, this is a Australia's famous for its meat pies and pasties and sausage rolls. Mm. Um, but yeah, pies are are huge and just a, a plain beef pie, and they sort of varied between where you get them from. There's different places, but they're all decent. And cause I personally prefer a chicken pie. But, yeah, it varies from place to place. But, yeah, when I'm talking about a pie in Australia, it's a hot meat pie. Okay. That, 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 that helps a lot, yeah. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. just wanted to ask for that clarification. You know, actually, uh, something uh, funny about me is that I never had pie until I was probably in my mid to late 20s. Wow. I'm Italian. It's like we eat cannolis. We eat, uh, <laughs> we eat different things. But Italians don't make pies. So I never had a pie. Wow. You're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. You have cannolis, a little eclairs, you know. Yeah, cookies, yeah. all that type of stuff. No. Mm-hmm. Never had pie. Probably I was at least mm-hmm. 25, I'm going to say. That's mm-hmm. good. I mean, don't get me wrong. But it just well, it was just interesting. You know, I said that to somebody once. It's like, you've never eaten a pie, like a pumpkin pie? Like, no. Wow. <laughs> hey, Annabelle, I kid you. Got a, uh, I've got a gift card that I won uh, earlier this year. It, it was out right back right before all the shutdowns in March due to COVID, I was yep. at the Amer- uh, America's Got Talent taping in LA and they were giving away uh, door prizes and I won a gift card for a um, pie floater that you were just talking about and it's mm. to a uh, supposedly a really nice Australian restaurant there in Los Angeles but uh, of course I haven't been able to go because everything's been closed all year but it's so funny, I uh, like I had never even heard of it before. And it has a picture of, of what you're describing. It looked like a pie that was like upside down on top of cheese or something. And I was, I just remember thinking, what is this? And uh, when you were talking- <laughs> It must look like something they've made up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, I have a gift card for it. I don't know if there's an expiration on it. Cause I mean, it was, this was back. Well, I should honor it. Yeah. Uh, I did my play trip back in on March. It was like March. I was practically right on March 9th, so AGT would have been like March 8th, I believe. So, and I, that's when that's I won that gift. At some point, I want. At some point, I want to go get my pie floater, man. <laughs> and and there's also a um, Australian kiosk in Chelsea Market, which is sort of like a, a grand indoor farmers farmers slash gourmet market. You can get like really fancy food from many lands, and the pie kiosk looks really good. And it's, it's you're right, it's all meat and cheese and such like that. So, hmm. yeah. So um, uh, now, I've, now I've got to try it, but I think I'll, I think I'll skip the mushy peas. I got enough of that in my neighborhood because my neighborhood is very Irish. So that makes me think of mushy peas first. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
But getting back to Mary, though, I w- sometimes I wish they had used more of the food culture of Chicago. That's true. You know, they never had, yes. you know, they never indulge in a big dip. I mean, I mean, okay, okay, well, I mean, hardly any of them ever ate anything. But when they did, though, <laughs> they could have gone to Uno's and gotten a nice deep dish, could have gotten more brats, more frank, more frank, more sausages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. T- Tony Malnati's is the big pizza chain in Chicago for deep, yes. dip, deep dish pizza. Yeah. They have a special Chicago hot dog, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, like a very, like a loaded hot dog. Yeah, no, 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 they did have a sweet potato pie. From the African American community, which was that was good. They built a whole show around that, but they could have done more, I thought. All right, so moving right along, Al decides to spend Jefferson's money to get himself a 40-year-old copy of the first issue of Biggins. And the next item up for bid, still in its original wrapper, the first issue of Biggins. Twelve hundred dollars. So have any money you got two grand <laughs> al that is money i took from marcy for her birthday present <laughs> jefferson this is the first issue of biggins there's 40 pages that's 80 <laughs> okay maybe i can find a barbie for 800 you won't be able to find woodstock barbie for that <laughs> w- woodstock barbie oh yes as any Barbie file would know, Woodstock Barbie comes with elephant-like bell bottoms and a poor boy top. I'm prepared to go as high as ten thousand. <laughs> I'm prepared to call America's most wanted. My favorite part of that whole thing was how Al just completely lost his, his brain and bought something he can't afford. Jefferson's like, Al, you don't have any money. What are you doing? <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what that. I've never been to one of those auctions, but I don't know what they would do uh, if if you ruin an auction by bidding on something that you don't have money for. Would they press charges on you or something? I don't know. <laughs> I would assume it would. I mean, you'd be in some type of trouble, you know, for ruining it for everyone else. But Jefferson's like, man, you don't have any money. What are you doing? And I like how he got one, he went right to twelve hundred dollars, which is over like twenty one hundred dollars today. He went right to that, yeah. and I was like, where did that come from? And all I can think of is the early episode where Alan Steve went to the track and he won $1,200. Maybe he had 1200 bucks on his mind. I don't know. But that was, that was weird. That like, not like $500 or $1,000 or something, right? The 1200 Yeah, that was weird. I, I got to tell you, so I, I was watching this episode last night with a friend of mine. And she's not, I mean, she's like a casual married children fan. She's seen some episodes. Before they even focused the camera on that Barbie file, he looks right at him and goes, that dude looks like a pedophile. Why is he buying that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I not, before he even spoke his first line, she's like, that guy looks yeah, like a pedophile. And I'm like, yeah, well, wait till you hear what he has to say. That's really good. Now, you know, I a couple of weeks ago, I saw the movie It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Yeah. yeah. Uh, great, great film. So there's this one scene that uh, always uh, tickles my funny bone uh, because it really hones into sort of, you know, like Al's uh, fascination with boobs. <laughs> so, so Terry Thomas uh, is a famous British uh, actor and comedian. You know, he had this line. I must say, if I had the grievous misfortune to be a citizen of this benighted country, I should be the most hesitant at offering any criticism whatever of any other. Wait a minute. Are you knocking this country? Are you saying something against America? 
against it. I should be positively astounded to hear of anything that we said for it. Well, the whole bloody place is the most unspeakable matriarchy in the whole history of civilization. Look at yourself and the way your wife and her strumpet of a mother push you through the hoop. As far as I can see, American men have been totally emasculated. They're like slaves. They die like flies from coronary thrombosis while their women sit under hair dryers eating chocolates and arranging for every second Tuesday to be some sort of Mother's Day. And this positively infantile preoccupation with bosoms. In all my time in this wretched, godforsaken country, the one thing that has appalled me most of all is this preposterous preoccupation with bosoms. Don't you realize that they've become the dominant theme in American culture, in literature, advertising, in all fields of entertainment, in everything? I'll wager you anything you like. If American women stopped wearing brassieres, your whole national economy would collapse overnight. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> it has not, it's not, not really gone away either. <laughs> nope. Uh, so now we find out about Nurse Barbie. Uh, I was lucky to get this Nurse Barbie for $800. Oh, look. They put a belly button on her. Well, I guess they want little girls to know how the human body really looks. Uh, that's why married Ken has no genitals. <laughs> Well, Jefferson, I'll see you next week. Oh, hi, honey. Hey, Jefferson, I have your auction catalog here. You know, I can't believe what people pay for these old Barbies, especially the ones with mistakes. Look, a Barbie head on a Ken body goes for $8,000. Look at this, $50,000 for a nurse Barbie with a belly button. I tell you, the things people spend their money on. Well, if anybody wants me, I'll be upstairs in my new tanning bubble. <laughs> Jefferson, it's $50,000. <laughs> well, what are we going to do? <laughs> we? Say goodbye to you <laughs> and catch a plane to Aruba. N N Nurse Barbie? Nurse Barbie. So they put a belly button on her. <laughs> so I guess they want, they want little girls to know what the human body really looks like. That's why married Ken has no genitals. Ugh. <laughs> 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 uh. I have to uh -huh. I have to admit the zingers in this sort of really, really good. <laughs> they are. Although well, you want you wonder how Al was uh, got to see a naked Ken doll, but that's another story, I'm sure. Alice Marcy. Jefferson Millhouse Darcy! Open this door right now! I can't give belly button Barbie to Marcy. It's more valuable than she is. Okay, wait, wait, I got an idea. Go, go let her in. Go, go. Hey, Marcy, I thought I heard some pecking. Out of my way, swamp gas. That's Mr. Swamp Gas to you. Uh, I, I'm sorry about the door, honey. I, I just didn't want you to see your birthday present before I got the price tag off. 
Happy birthday. A rawhide bone, Jefferson? Now, give me back my bone, or I'm ripping everybody a new belly button. <laughs> Jefferson! An original Nurse Barbie! I've wanted this doll all my life. My parents never let me have a Barbie. Instead, they bought me a Chinese back scratcher. <laughs> I put clothes and makeup on it, but it just wasn't the same. <laughs> oh, thank you, honey! I'm never letting her out of my sight. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> yeah, and you know, we, we have to talk a little bit about this. Now, Annabelle, I mean, you and I, you know, back in our uh, research days, I think like we sort of screamed about this. So Marcy comes out and says that she never had a, Mar a Barbie doll. Right? Yes, she yes. She says that her parents... What is the line? My parents never let me have a Barbie. Instead, they bought me a Chinese back scratch. <laughs> right. And I'm like, didn't we have an entire episode back in Thank season you. two, episode 14, yeah. Guys and Dolls, which was devoted to Marcy's Barbie doll? Yes. yes. What the F? <laughs> <laughs> That's in my notes, too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean continuity, continuity, I mean, continuity. I mean, you could. I mean, this uh, one, this one is blatant. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, annoys me so much. It really does. I I rarely say anything about continuity, but that one was pretty bad. I was like, it, it, not just for the writers, but I'm kind of surprised. Like Amanda Burst or any of the other actors or actresses didn't say, uh, didn't we have an entire episode back in season two devoted to?" Uh, Al and Steve uh, searching for a Barbie. You know what I mean? Yes. I mean, they literally walked to Chicago searching for a Barbie. Yeah, it's been seven years, but still, you, you'd think you would remember that. But maybe they're counting on the fact that, you know, maybe it's not going to be seen again or people have very short memory spans. They're not going to remember such a fact, but uh, reruns exist. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the rerun, by 94, I think the reruns were already starting. Yeah. Oh. So yeah, yeah. Well, well. Thank you because I had that in my notes too. It really bugged me. Yeah. I was like, was wait. I went. A, a wait. Passing Pies mention. Pies it, was a, it was a whole bloody episode about it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we saw the Barbie. We saw her cuddling the Barbie. We saw the Barbie, you know, attached to a motorcycle. And and, mm. and, and I don't know about you, but I, I can't hear you belong in the city without thinking of that episode. Right. So yes. <laughs> you know, and our beloved Alex uh, uses that music when. Uh, his wife, Tiffany, does the uh, a whole uh, please donate to Patreon, like our pledge drive on the uh, Married with Children mm. podcast, right? <laughs> now, I mean, and yeah. even more so, I want to point out. So Catherine Green has been writing on Married with Children since literally season one. So how could she have missed this? Yeah. Mm. And all the other writers? Right. I mean, I'm looking at her writing credits here. So she did not write for, you know, guys and dolls. But I mean, this was this is I mean, what I would consider canon. I mean, look, remember what happened to poor Steve in that episode? I need a dentist. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, the thing about 50 grand for a Barbie doll, so I did a little bit of research on this, and believe it or not, people do spend that kind of money on certain Barbie dolls. Wow, so, really? <laughs> so Mattel estimates that there are over 100,000 avid Barbie collectors. 90% of them are women with an average age of 40, purchasing more than 20 Barbie dolls a year. So I think your pedophile comment wasn't that far off there. <laughs> so 45% of them spend upwards of $1,000 a year. Uh, vintage Barbies from the early years are the most valuable at auction. Uh, the original Barbie cost $3 in 1959, and in 2004 sold for about $3,500. There was a, a record... Uh, $17,000 uh, sale at Christie's in London. There's one that is worth as much as $300,000, believe it or not. <laughs> wow. Well, I looked it up and 50000 is about $88,000 today. So that's a ton of money back then and, and now. Right. And even and still for a, a Barbie doll. But wow. Yes. Now, when Marcy enters, she says Jefferson's full name. Jefferson <laughs> now, what's interesting is that Millhouse was the middle name of Richard Nixon, mm. as well as the name of a character on The Simpsons, Mil Millhouse Van Houten. So I wonder what I wonder what the connection was, or why they chose Millhouse specifically for this character. I think it just rolls really well and sounds funny. Too. It's sort of like, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't it wasn't it Stephen Bartholomew Rhodes, the Thunderbird? Yeah, uh, you know. It, it just sounds funny. I like how I like how Al on that one he goes Bartholomew. It's like it's the most amazing thing he's ever heard. Yeah, but he didn't he didn't react to Millhouse, which is pretty weird. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think I think I think most people will think of either Millhouse and The Simpsons, who was totally unlike Jefferson, or Richard Millhouse Nixon, who was known who was known as Tricky Dick, very sleazy, underhanded operator. Right. Among other things, you know, but, but I think the underhandedness and the sleaziness is what they're going for here. But um, yeah, but, but it's but yeah. uh, I, I mean, we we have no idea what Jefferson's real name is anyway. So you know. <laughs> so what's of note with this scene, Annabelle? Uh, when Marcy knocks on the door, yeah, uh, when Jefferson um, shuts the door on her, you'll see that shot again in the opening credits of season ten and eleven. Cool. For Ted McGinley's credit, it's just. It does work very well because you see Marcy, but it's very much a great Jefferson expression there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, didn't you think it was funny that uh, Jefferson gives uh, <laughs> Buck the Barbie and gives the bone to Marcy? <laughs> well, one thing about Jefferson, Jefferson is not good at thinking on his feet. All the, of all the things he could have grabbed in the, in the house. <laughs> yeah, so... I, I, I like Buck's little one-liners. They're not giving me back my bone. I'm ripping everybody a new belly button. Poor Buck. <laughs> like the one time he actually has something. I mean, he's chewing on something, right? I mean, it's not, at least it's not food, but he's got something to do. And it's like, it gets taken away from him. <laughs> but did, did, anyone, did anyone else cringe at the $50,000 doll being carried in the dog's mouth? <laughs> he's like, ah! <laughs> I, 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 uh, if I had a $50,000 anything like that, I wouldn't even carry it with my own hands. I'd be wearing gloves if I carried it. You know? <laughs> and a mask. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to breathe on it. <laughs> and a padded box. Or, 
<laughs> I did. I would be putting it in a dog's mouth. <laughs> so Pegri enters. Here comes Popeye. Hey, Al, you want to try my squeeze box? <laughs> no, Peg, you blew this man down a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, does anyone else know the, uh, there's a very sexy country song called Mama's Got a Squeeze Box? No. Oh, it's terrific. No, but I'm looking that up. Yeah, Mama's got a Mama's got a squeeze box she wears on her chest. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Mama's got a squeeze box she wears on her chest, but when Daddy comes home, he never gets no rest. Cause she's playing on. It's a terrific song, and it's a, it's a kind of song that Katie and Peggy would both know. So yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Squeeze box is not that 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 word was chosen for a reason, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, is is this the song by the Who? Mama's got a squeeze box she wears on the chest, and when Daddy comes home, he never gets no rest. Never gets no rest. That's it. Yes, that that is a song. Yeah, I didn't know it was by the Who, but yeah. Uh, they must have covered it. Yeah, I, I didn't realize the Who's squeeze box was that song. Yeah. Oh, hang on. Written by Pete Townsend. Ah. So it is this. Okay, cool. Uh, I've, only, I've only heard a couple of covers both by women, so I didn't know. <laughs> ah, I'm learning. <laughs> Bud enters and has a new sob story for Al. Hey, Dad. Of course. <laughs> well, <clears throat> today, while I was giving a driving test, I learned that, uh, that windshields are made from this stuff called safety glass. That's so no one else will get hurt when I go flying through it. Now look, son. Son, look, it's not that I don't care. Oh, sure, that's part of it. But the main thing is I've got something very important to do. Biggins. Some bigger than your entire bun. <laughs> now, son, you've got two choices. Get out or get the hell out. Fine. You never pay any attention to me. Is it any wonder I seek the affections of sleazy barmaids in 25-cent movies? <laughs> <laughs> now that's a big in. I mean uh, now David Faustino, yeah. what is he about five foot four, I'm gonna say? Uh he's he's five three, yeah. Yeah, his nickname is Little D for a reason. <laughs> I'm gonna say it's like wow. That's uh for a small guy that's a pretty big in. <laughs> <laughs> that's hard. That's hard. 
That's hard to even wrap my mind around. That would definitely be a good one. <laughs> but I love, you know, Al's next line. He says, now, son, you got two choices. Get out or get the hell out. <laughs> <laughs> poor, poor Bud. I mean, Bud is over 18. Al should just share the biggums with him. He doesn't want anyone else to be there. He <laughs> mm. yeah. already took him to a strip club, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although I think it's funny, like, so Bud says, is any wonder I seek the affections of sleazy bard maids in 25-cent movies? So I didn't know what a 25-cent movie was, so uh, Annabelle schooled me on <laughs> Well, I, I took a guess, and I, I think I knew what he was referring to, and I was trying to find an exact reference or something online, but um, the best I could come up with was the Urban Dictionary definition, which um, I might read out if this is open. Yeah, twenty-five cent viewing booths. I thought I think Bud is referring to you know in the back of pornography shops. So sleazy ass little rooms in the back of porn shops. You know, for a quarter you can watch a porn and wank. They're usually very disgusting. <laughs> That's the blunt way Urban Dictionary puts it. Unfortunately, as a kid who as a kid who was a little girl in New York in the seventies, I, I didn't see them firsthand, but I saw the theaters, the, the so-called theaters they were in, and it was about as sleazy as you can imagine. <laughs> You know, they, they would they would have they would have big they would have uh, huge signs in the front of the theaters saying twenty five cent peep shows twenty five cent movies, and everyone everyone knew what it meant. You didn't have to go in there to figure it out. So. I, I think uh, did, didn't Steve uh, go into the one of those and her cup runneth over very briefly. That's right. He needed all those quarters. You're right. Oh yes, yes, right. <laughs> and, you know there there are. Uh, some high-profile stories about that in real life. I think, if I'm not mistaken, isn't that what TV Herman got in trouble for? He uh, he was in one of those, and you know, of course, uh, for people listening who may not know who TV Herman is, he was a um, a children's uh, he he had a, he had a children's show. It's called TV Herman's Playhouse, and I um, I kind of remember. I'll just kind of tell my TV Herman story here. So when I was a kid, I actually liked TV Herman, and you know, I watched. Human's Playhouse every day, on, you know, whenever we was on. And I remember one day uh, it got canceled just out of the blue with no explanation, you know. And I asked my dad, I was like, what happened to TV Herman? You know, I'm, I'm probably six, seven years old at this point. And he was like, he got caught doing something that children shouldn't know about. And I was like, okay. He's like, we'll talk about it when you're older. And I just kind of forgot about TV Herman. You know, I got into sports and power injuries and turtles and all types of other stuff. And one day, in uh, probably in my early 20s, you know, we're in the internet era at this point, T.D. Herman popped into my head, and I Googled it. I was like, what happened to T.D. Herman? And it came up that he got caught, uh, I believe he was, I, I guess he was just watching a, uh, I, I don't know, maybe someone else can help me out, because I can't remember exactly what he was doing, but he was, at, he was at an X-rated movie, and he got arrested. And his mugshot looked horrible, because, you know, he, he was normally was clean cut with the, the white makeup on his face. And anyways, in his mugshot, he had long hair and a full goatee. And anyways, his show got canceled. So, yeah. Yeah, he looks a bit like a like a Barbie file. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I watched him as a kid, and he got canceled for doing that exact thing you were talking about, going to a 25-cent feature, I guess. Yeah, no, he, it, was, it was July of 1991 in Sarasota, Florida. He was arrested for masturbating during a film. Okay. I was thinking, I didn't say that unless I knew for sure. I was thinking that's what he was doing. But 
I didn't want to say it, but yeah. So '91, I was seven. So yeah, my dad was like, "Yeah, he he got caught doing something that children shouldn't know about." I was like, "Okay." <laughs> my bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I will say, Pee Wee has lately. He's kind of he's kind of redeemed himself in a lot of ways too. He's uh, going back and he's kind of gone back into show business a bit and older and wiser. <laughs> Well, hopefully he just learns to keep it in his pants and everything will be fine. Yep. <laughs> so Kelly comes back in and now she's wearing a blonde wig. Look, Daddy. I changed my mind. I decided that it is not the color of the hair, but the head that it's stuck to that's important. <laughs> Ergo, I have decided to do the announcement proudly wearing this Blonde wig. <laughs> but pumpkin, that's your real hair color. Aha! They don't know that. <laughs> that's a good point, sweetheart. Now you leave Daddy alone now. Okay. I don't think Daddy was listening to me. I'll bet he's got a biggins under the couch. <laughs> oh well. The important thing to remember is I'm going up the stairs. Up the stairs. Wait, where was I going? Oh. oh, yeah. Up the stairs. Up the stairs. But that's her real hair color. <laughs> you know, and it's funny, that blonde wig, when you look at it, it looks almost like a country music stars from, like, that time period. It's like wig, like the style yeah. to it. Right? That's exactly what I thought of. Yeah. I immediately thought of Dolly Parton when she walked in. <laughs> I mean, although Dolly's got a lot more height, <laughs> I think, than Kelly had in that wig. I think it's funny when Kelly says, you know, it's like, I don't think Daddy was listening to me. I bet he's got a biggins under the couch. <laughs> <laughs> and the look on her face, you know, like, like she makes this look. It's like, it's, it's disgusting, like disgusting in its smells, right? She had like, whenever, like she's had like, um, She's done that with Bud a few times, but like it's the way that she looks at her face. It's like it's just this pure disgust because she knows exactly what's going on. Yeah, I think Tyler likes that expression very much. Which is not fair because I was a good dad to her for like seven or eight seconds there. <laughs> Back on the couch, <laughs> he was asking her, like, oh, but that's your old hair, honey. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> so Kelly goes up the stairs, up the stairs. <laughs> Yeah, I, I gotta say that, that that scene I wasn't too crazy about. It made her like practically dysfunctional. <laughs> you, you guys know what a rake scene is, like in The Simpsons? It's a, a physical. Oh gag, yeah, yeah. A physical gag to to uh, kill time. I feel like a filler scene. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wasn't. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and we've had a we've had a couple of those. Um, you know, so yeah. Annabelle, like when Chris and I reviewed, uh, for example, episode one from season nine. Uh, usually there's this, you mentioned this before, like the rule of three. Mm. So like, you know, with the Samoan Beatles for the truth serum, there were two scenes where it's like Kelly's telling the truth, but it's like, I felt like I didn't rate the episode as high as like, you know, as maybe I I would have because like we didn't have like a third or closure to it. It's like the, like when, if it happens a third time, then it makes sense. But it's like sort of the same thing happens here. It's like they wrote her in twice, but there's no resolution. Like, you know, there's not the third one to be like the final punchline. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's especially 
uh, so, certainly fits for the the first episode this season, where you know they they could have, um, yeah, like you say, have that third scene or just more, you know, more jokes. They could have milked more for that because Kelly telling the truth is a is a funny idea, and you know more people should have been let have it so to speak but yeah there's sort of no resolution to that and yeah here is just you know she's just sort of cameoing twice really throughout the episode so i don't know if she needed another scene or not but um yeah it's kind of it feels a bit like filler so jefferson comes back in and gives al a proposition to get the fifty thousand dollars i got a big problem al marcy hasn't let go of that barbie doll since i gave it to her I need you to do me a, a little favor. Can I do it while I'm reading the magazine? <laughs> you know, that magazine still belongs to me until you pay me for it. What is the favor? I need you to sleep with Marcy. You know, the look on Al's face, it's like, like you need to sleep with Marcy. <laughs> Yeah, he hands that he hands that Diggins back right away. <laughs> no, he throws it at him, throws it in his lap. I don't mean sleep with her. Just lie next to her so I can have time to switch that Barbie with the regular nurse Barbie. The Barbie file that we saw at the auction will give me $50,000 and the substitute. It, it just take an hour until I make the trade. Huh? How about it? Oh, but Jefferson, Peg might wake up and notice me gone, and then it might ruin an otherwise... Sickening marriage. <laughs> hey, look, Al. She's dancing. <laughs> oh, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a sickening oh. thought, which Al says it might ruin otherwise sickening marriage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have to say, you know, scheming capitalist Jefferson is my favorite Jefferson. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm not, you know, I, I, I still prefer Steve, but when Jefferson is like this, when he's conniving, I just, I just, I just think he's so funny. Peg re-enters the living room with a bunch of the neighborhood women, and we hear John <laughs> Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. Al, I'm so glad you're home. Gladys has just taught myself and the entire neighborhood John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. <laughs> I'll leave my pajamas under the weeping willow tree. Good move. Hit it, girls! <laughs> so, John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt is a traditional children's song that originates from, from the U.S., while the origins of the song are obscure, some evidence places its roots with vaudeville and theater acts of the late 19th and early 20th century popular in immigrant communities. The song is indefinitely repetitive like The Song That Never Ends, My Name is John Jansen or Michael Finnegan. I just wanted to say Gladys, Gladys and the gang, they're dressed like so perfectly Midwestern 90s. It hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Remember there was like a, you remember in the first episode where we're introduced to Amber, Al's got a line. He says like, you know, it's like, we want to teach her traditional Midwestern values. It's like what? It's like, you know, how to bake a tuna casserole, you know, wear plaid dresses and get fat or something like that. <laughs> yeah. 
Those sweaters were hilarious. <laughs> so now we cut to Jefferson and Marcy's bedroom. And again, this is something that we don't see very often. What took you so long? You haven't lived till you heard Itsy Bitsy Spider played on a concertina. <laughs> I'm speaking of things I'm afraid of with hairy legs, let's get this thing over with. <laughs> Sure, she's not gonna wake up. Positive. We just had sex three times. And uh, I did her real good. Okay, I switched the Barbie with a Chinese back scratcher. One hour, Jefferson. You better be back here in one hour. One hour? Oh, uh, and if you hear a noise coming from across the hall, that's just Marcy's niece, Amber. Anything else I should know? <laughs> well, Marcy likes me to sleep with my hand on her tush. <laughs> It'll keep her from waking up. Yeah, it's always nice to, to mix it up a little bit and see the different sets. Uh, and this is one, you know, as you said, we haven't seen in a, in a long time. Mm. It still has that same 80s wallpaper, the, the pink and green scheme. Uh-huh. So Jefferson convinces Al to get into bed and um, he tells her, he tells, Jefferson tells Al that he's had sex with Marcy three times already so that she will sleep through the night. <laughs> and, and that's like every man on earth, he's like, yeah, I did her good. And then later on, and later on you find out you didn't really please me or you didn't really, I think it's what she said, you didn't really satisfy me. <laughs> Yeah, well, she she was up. She woke up a lot, so I don't think Jefferson did a good job. <laughs> I thought he had. Do you remember his character in Revenge of the Nerds, Stan? Yes. <laughs> yep, yep. And it reminded me a lot of that. It reminded me of a saying that you see sometimes, like, you know, celebrities on Twitter, God gave me the confidence of a mediocre white man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Jefferson, before he leaves, makes mention of his niece, Amber. So this is the Second reference to Amber this season. So Chris and I uh, interviewed Juliet Tablick earlier this season, and we hope that you listen to that podcast. Yeah, definitely. It's great. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, check it out. I think everyone by now knows that uh, Amber is one of my favorite support characters, so definitely check out that uh, interview. Yeah, you guys did a great job, and Amber certainly has a lot of fans here in, in our podcast world. Yeah, you know, the kind of cat I appreciate her more and more as time goes by. Yeah, same. When she first came in, I was like, "Oh, a bimbo, eye candy," but but there was a lot. There was you know there was some good chops there. Well, Jefferson tells Al that Marcy likes her to keep his hand on her tush. <laughs> I mean, so for for those of you who are married or live with someone or were married. I mean, is that something that uh, you find common? <laughs> when, I mean, when I was married, I, I definitely, my wife wanted me to, you know, touch her. I guess this is when we went to bed mm-hmm. at night. Well, I'm about to get married and I don't think, no. <laughs> we, we sleep in a pretty big bed. So um, I don't know, there's quite a bit of space between us sometimes. No, some people don't like to be touched at night, right? Like, you know, like in other words, you know, they don't yeah. want, I mean, to, in order to feel comfortable to sleep, they don't want like anyone sort of like, you know, touching them or holding them. 
No, I'm I'm not I'm not Peg saying, Oh, I'll rub my tushy. Okay. Just wondering. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> it, it, it depends on the on how good the AC is and stuff, but uh, on a warm on a cold night, sure. No, but, but I don't say you must put your hand here every night. <laughs> I need your hand like, <laughs> on my right shoulder, you know, one, one centimeter to the left. I can, no, not like that. But I can imagine Marcy being that demanding, though. <laughs> so. Okay. All right. So we, we get to hear some of Al's inner dialogue. Well, Jefferson isn't back yet. There's a shock. 50 grand in his pocket, me with his wife. Gee, who came out ahead? <laughs> to hell with this. I'm getting out of here. about Al. He's missing. I thought maybe he was with Jefferson. No. My Jefferson's right here. <laughs> oh, gee. Now his remote is cold. And the toilet seat is dry. Where do you think he could be? Well, maybe he's with another woman. <laughs> Don't you worry, Peggy. If we hear anything, we'll let you know. <laughs> Jefferson. <laughs> you want to take me again? to criticize, but you didn't really satisfy me earlier. So Peggy calls Marcy. So they think it's really funny that uh, it's like, well, you know, Marcy says, well, maybe he's with another woman. (laughs) (laughs) And now that uh, Marcy's awake, she (laughs) wants Jefferson, a.k.a. Al, to satisfy her. Yeah, before we move on to that, I just wanted to ask you guys how many things they how many times do you think they rehearsed amanda's padding of al behind her back so she didn't like accidentally grope him that was precise mm. <laughs> she, must, she must have said she, they, he, you know ed must have said you know okay okay you're, you're going to reach with this angle <laughs> and i'm going to my cute my uh, my toes are going to be right there and that should be safe <laughs> yeah i'm looking at a screenshot of it right now and i'm also, I'm amazed at that, and I'm also amazed at the fact that the Barbie or the fake Barbie stays in her arm, in the crook of her arm, the entire time. Yes. <laughs> and Marcy kept the back stretcher. I don't know if that's sad or, or nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cute. <laughs> Did you notice that Marcy has her hand on Al's crotch? Mm-hmm. Well, just above it, yeah. Just that's what I was talking about. Just above it, it is tell. I mean, it is broadcast television, right? So <laughs> it has to be yeah. innocent enough. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the dialogue yeah. itself is very risque, you know, for its time, obviously. I have to give uh, I have to give Ed O'Neill and Amanda Burke a lot of credit just for being professionals and everything. I, I think by now, mo- I think most fans know that you know Ed O'Neill and didn't always get along or didn't always like each other on a personal level. But man, when they went to work, they're professionals. And to be able to shoot this this scene with someone that you don't really like personally, 
You know what I mean? And, and I think awesome on their part, at least. And I, I mean, I, both of their, their physical comedy by both of them is hilarious. The, the part Carolyn just pointed out, I was literally watching it as she was saying it. <laughs> and Al reaches, Al, Al reaches down and pushes her hand up <laughs> about, about two or three inches. Get up there. <laughs> Yeah, these these are these are two these are two like real physical comedy pros, and it's great to watch them together. They know what they're doing. They they make it look so easy, but you know it takes a lot of work to uh, have that precision. Yep. Aunt Marcy, do you have a heating pad? Uh, there's one in the nightstand. Are you sick? I'm on my period. You know how it is. Yeah, I know the feeling. I've gone to the super tampons lately myself. The things that happen when you forget to pack your cyanide pill. Even my breasts are swollen. Want to see? <sighs> Not here. We don't want to wake Uncle Jefferson. Yeah, so, so when Amber enters into the scene, you know, she tells Marcy that, you know, she's having a period and her breasts are swollen. So it's, it's kind of funny that, like, you know, Al is like, oh, like, I want to take a peek. <laughs> I can't say I blame Al, man. He tried to sneak a little peek and then Marcy's like, now, 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 let's don't wake up Jefferson. <laughs> Jefferson, rub my back. That's my chest. It's like his hand, like he put, he dipped his hand in like in acid or something, right? It's like he like it cringes. <laughs> no, he wants he wants to cut his hand off. He's just looking at the hand, like you know, like <laughs> it's like um, it's like Ash and the Evil Dead. He wants to cut that hand right off. <laughs> so Jefferson returned. <laughs> I can't get back in bed with her. But on the good side, soon Marcy will get up, I'll see her pluck naked and drop dead. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm late, buddy. I swapped the Barbies, I got the 50 thou, I was on my way back when I got the urge to gamble. I felt a lucky streak coming on, so I decided to run my 50 thou into 100. Well, did you? No, I lost it all. <laughs> so did I, I wouldn't go in your bathroom if I were you. Your shirt's all wet. You even sweat in bed? Those are tears, Jefferson. Jefferson? She's waking up. Go! Go! I'm going! Did you hear someone screaming? Uh, yeah. It was probably Al falling from the window after having slept with you. <laughs> now, at one point, clock showed 1.15. So now it's 4.15. So, you know, Al's been in bed with Marcy for, you know, well over three hours. And Jefferson had said he was only going to be gone an hour. <laughs> so Jefferson comes in 
and tells us that he got the $50,000 and got the new Barbie for Marcy, but he's got no money. So, you know, so let me ask you, have, have you ever like met people or known people like who like gamble like that? It's like, <laughs> you know, like, they, like <laughs> maybe they come into a little bit of money and like, it's like, oh, like, you know, they say, I'm, I'm going to go gambling. And all of a sudden it's like, they come back and it's like, they come back with nothing. <laughs> I mean, they're worse off than they started. At least, you know, if you had some money, you could pay off debts or something like. Yeah, well, not 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 personally, but I certainly, but it certainly is. It certainly seems to be in character for Jefferson, though. He's impulsive. He's um. He gives it. He gives in. He does whatever he likes. You know, and and to him, the money that money is not real because he hasn't earned the money that he that he gets. You know, he takes it from Marcy. So, to him, it's like, well, easy come, easy go. <laughs> he doesn't feel any guilt or shame or anything. And that's one of the things I like about him, too. I, I think to an extent you could say that everyone on this show is impulsive. I mean, think about the Bundys back whenever Bucks got a credit card. They went hog wild. Oh, uh, you yeah. Think about, when, think about whenever Bud, uh, when he got that grant to go to college, that, what was it, $20,000, I think. And uh, they just assumed that the bank made a mistake in their error, and they went, again, went hog wild buying all types of stuff. And, <laughs> uh, you know, Bud's check started bouncing all all over town. <laughs> the Bundys are definitely uh, impulsive, but I was going to say, uh, I used to work at a bank and I used to see my customers do things like this. You know, they'd come into, you know, maybe they inherit ten or $15,000 or something like that. And they think it's a fortune, but man, it goes quick and you're spending uh -huh. it on you know, dumb stuff. It goes really, really quick. <laughs> I'll put it that way. You know, I, I think like one of the most like, heartbreaking scenes for me once. So in upstate New York, there are a bunch of uh, Indian casinos. Uh, I don't know, Carolyn, maybe if you're familiar with it. You know Turning Stone? It's yes, in, I've heard uh, of it, yeah. It's outside of, I think it's Utica, New York. So I remember uh, with some of my college buddies. Now, what's interesting about it is you can gamble there at the age of 18 because they don't serve alcohol. So uh, if you go to like Atlantic City, you have to be 21. I believe Vegas is 21. But, you know, you could be as young as 18. So we were 18 years old. We went there for the day. I just went up for the trip. I'm not really much of a gambler. And I remember we were leaving this casino. And uh, I'm going to say it was probably like 7, 8 o'clock-ish. Because uh, we had like a two-hour drive to go like, to where we were going to be sleeping that night. And uh, there was a guy who I saw like come in. Like, you know, he was like, he sort of like pulls in like on a pickup truck. And he was like very eager to go in. Right. And then about like 15 mm -hmm. minutes later, he's outside, like crying on the curb. And, you know, I mean, it struck me. I'm like, wow, it was a Friday night. I'm like, wow, this guy, I'm thinking to myself, this guy just probably just got paid, maybe thought that he could maybe double his money. And, you know, in a very short period of time, lost it all. Wow. He lost all his money in eight minutes, like Peg and Marcy did in season four. <laughs> crazy. Really crazy. Yeah, it's, it, well, it's, it's probably a good thing none of these folks feel guilt in the show because otherwise it would turn into a really sad show. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> but but you're, you're right, you're right. You're responsible. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like they, they generally, Mario the Children doesn't try to teach you a lesson. <laughs> I mean, they make you laugh at something, but you know, there are always some kernels of truths in some of what they say. Yeah. Like, so. They just they just do it a different way, right? Like you know, they don't do it the growing pains way, right? Yeah. <laughs> Burn. 
So anyway, so Al is exiting Jefferson and Marcy's bedroom. Marcy starts to wake up, and Jefferson needs to think quick and get Al out of there as soon as possible. And Al comes crashing down into the yard. <laughs> so I gotta ask, unless I missed something, the person, so the person I was watching this episode with last night, she goes, "Why didn't Jefferson just let Al in the front door? Like, why did they just go in and out of the front door?" Instead of, I mean, it's not as funny, obviously, but from a logical standpoint, why the hell wouldn't they just use the front door unless I missed something? I think that's a great that's a great point that you make. I think what it is is, you know, Al went into Jefferson and Marcy's bedroom from a ladder. So if like Peg was looking out the window, I guess the idea would be that, you know, if if Al was coming out of Jefferson and Marcy's front door, like he could be seen. I'm 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 ta- I'm I'm reaching out on a limb here. So by going out through the ladder, it's not in her frame of view. However, in many episodes, like when there have been fighting going on in that bedroom, you see Al and Peg with binoculars looking <laughs> at what's going on, right? Yeah. So <laughs> it's a great <laughs> point, but I, I was trying to put, make some sense of it, but I, I think I failed. Annabelle, what do you think? <laughs> <clears throat> well, that's about as, as good as I can get it as well. I mean, I assume... Al left out his front door unless he climbed out of his window and straight into this. But yeah, I think so Peg wouldn't see him, but again, she she probably could have seen him do that, but yeah, I mean your guess is as good as mine. I mean I mean I, I sort of stuck on the on the larger idea of, you know, I suppose Jefferson had to be the one to go um exchange the Barbie doll and and and, and not Al, so <laughs> <laughs> so someone had to sleep next to Marcy, but uh... I think it's really funny too that the, the collector wanted to meet like at eleven p.m. at night. Yeah, <laughs> I know it was a yeah. weird time, but he couldn't have done it during the day when Marcy was at work. But maybe Marcy takes the doll with her to work, but she's so enamored of it. I don't know. <laughs> maybe the doll's like standing on her desk when she's working all day. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, otherwise it seems to be much easier to do it during the daytime for uh, Jefferson. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, meeting at 11 o'clock at night sounds like a drug deal or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would make way more sense to swap the doll out with a fake doll, you know, that looks legit, and then just do the trade during the day. <laughs> but hey, you know. Yeah, this Barbie file sounds more and more dodgy as you, as we... <laughs> totally. And that, that sounds like a great way to get mugged, honestly, meeting someone at 11 p.m. to do a transaction like that. <laughs> and, and the guy's you know? $50,000 $50, with him, and he's going to meet you at 11 o'clock at night. He's like, where is he going to meet you? <laughs> well, you remember in Guys and Dolls, you remember like at one point, uh, like Al is, remember like uh, like they, they find a guy who has a Barbie doll and like, remember he puts the cigarette up to it? He's like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was pretty shady. So I don't know, there, there's something... Uh, you know, if they forgot about guys and dolls, at least they were channeling the spirit of like the shadiness of, of trading uh, vintage uh, Barbie dolls. <laughs> you know who also he also made me think of Smithers too. Another another Fox show. Smithers is a a um, Malibu Stacy connoisseur. Oh yeah, yeah. And but I have to say, no matter what you say about Smithers, I don't think he's that Stacy. So, <laughs> but yeah. All right. So. Al goes into the home through the front door, mm-hmm. and Peg is 
sitting up waiting for him. Bundy, where have you been? Uh, uh, sleeping with Marcy. <laughs> Don't you lie to me. Ooh, you have been at Shecky's all night chicken shack, haven't you? <laughs> and I've been up all night worried sick, pacing, fretting, cleaning, which I should do more often. Do you know that I found a magazine underneath that couch that was over 40 years old? <laughs> Oh, no! Where is it? I threw it out. Oh, Peg! Peg, I want my biggins! Oh, honey. You want biggins? I'll give you biggins. No, I said biggins, not food! So Peg sniffs and says, you, I said, you've been at Shecky's all night chicken shack. <laughs> I don't think that's a real place, but damn it, it should be. We, uh, I did check. I could not find a reference to Shecky's. Although um, there was uh, a comedian. You remember yes. Shecky, uh, Shecky Green, was it? Shecky Green, yeah, the Catskills comedian, yeah. yeah we, we had notes about um, Shecky Green on another episode, which I, I'm drawing a blank on right now, but I do remember the name Shecky Green. Right, Ske? I, If I was a bet... Look, I, I listen, you know, I said before, I, I'm not a betting person. I don't gamble. But if Annabelle says that that's what it is, <laughs> I'm putting my money down on that. <laughs> when he mentioned it, I thought of when Al called Bud Shecky. And that must be Right, Ske, which I think Carolyn was on. Mm-hmm. I was, yes, you're right. <laughs> See? Like I said, you know, don't bet against Annabelle, all right? All, po- all podcast <laughs> listeners. If I'm not sure of anything, I do double check it. But yeah, I just pictured Al saying, this is my wife, Peggy, and this is my son, Shecky. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Oh, I, I, another thing that maybe, maybe a woman would notice faster than most guys, not Smithers, but you know, <laughs> at her first entrance, Peggy was wearing her famous black coat with the leopard skin trim. And her peignoir also matches the coat. It's leopard skin, too. Oh, yeah. So I thought it was pretty funny that she was, you know, wearing the leopard twice in one episode. Because usually she switches things around. But I kind of, it's just perfect for her character in this one, though. You know, kind of horny, kind of predatory. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I've always loved Peg's outfits, love you know. Yes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we got my we got my favorite line here at the end. Uh, when he finds out that she threw away this biggins, he goes, "I want my biggins." And she goes, "You biggins? I'll give you biggins." <laughs> now you know the one thing about that, you know, just before that is that Peg does something very out of character. She's waiting up for Al, and what does she do? She's been cleaning. When does Peg clean? Oh yeah, yeah. Not that. Domestically, not often. <laughs> yeah, not, 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 nervous Steve cleans. Nervous Peg, I don't, I don't see it. I had to, it's another one of those things that had to happen for the plot. I thought it was a little strange. Yeah. So you know, so the question was in season eight, there was an episode so far so good when the couch burns. 
So, you know, I mean, like, well, I guess Peg and Al don't know that the couch burned. So they think that everything has been sitting there for a long time, right? And, yeah. and I see your note here, Annabelle. You said, where are the tools? Yeah, I'll just put that in because after the couch burned down, you know, nine episodes later or ten episodes, whatever it was, um, in Assault and Batteries, <clears throat> not only do they find Buck's birth certificate in there, but there's the couch has become a tool chest. And again, that was just for that episode because now where are the tools? <laughs> Continuity. So Annabelle, you want you want to finish this off with the "I want my biggins" line? Well, I, I was just wondering um, the way Al said "I want my biggins." I was wondering if that was a reference to "I want my MTV" or something like that. Anyway, perhaps a, 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 one of you Americans could um, enlighten me. If not, but um, just because "I want my MTV" that was always being quoted in things. And yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, like. I don't know, maybe uh, Chris and Carolyn, if, if you... Early, early 90s, I think that saying was still very excellent. It yeah. was, but the thing is, is that the way Al says it, he's pouting. So yeah. Al's pouting. The I want my MTV was more of like, was almost like a screaming sound, right? It was like, I want my MTV. Like, you know, the... It was, yeah. it was more like a demand. Correct. That, yeah. that, that's the only difference. But I I would say, you know what, I'm... I'm <laughs> I think uh, your guess is as good as any, but I think that's probably right. No, well, it it might not be. I just just the way he said it. Yes, he's pouting, but he was like, "I want my biggins," and um, yeah, I want my MTV. It, uh, I I know it's the MTV uh, slogan, but it just makes me think of um, the Dire Straits song, "Money for Nothing." <laughs> well, well, I, I was I was thinking that's that um, that after he got pulled behind the couch by Peg. Uh, you'd see Al like spring up and run out to the run out to the backyard and empty all the garbage cans, but you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe he did maybe he did thirty seconds later when everything was finished. <laughs> thirty seconds. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm sorry. I'm a really Al fan. Okay, out <laughs> 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 here. <laughs> that's very generous. That's that's a good night for. I mean, that's a good performance for Al. <laughs> <laughs> Quicker now, buddy. <laughs> so you know so the reference uh, annabelle had a great point here about biggins so she said that you know the biggins was over 40 years old so it's probably an allusion to playboy which at that point yep. had just turned 40 first episode was december of 1953 so close enough hmm. yeah so that would make it 1954 when biggins started so yeah and this episode is from October of 1994, so over 40, so close enough. Mm -hmm. right. It could be older than Playboy. Yeah. No, ma'am, we'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app, and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to Channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. So Chris, 
how many Nurse Barbie belly buttons do you rate this episode? Well, I like this episode. Uh, it's really funny. Just the, the whole, uh, if you were to just tell me, hey, the plot line involves Al and Marcy sleeping together, I would right off the bat say, man, I got to see this episode. And I think that was delivered well. Uh, it was shown really well. Uh, as we said earlier, I think Carolyn pointed out Amanda Burke and Ed O'Neill both have great uh, physical comedy. Uh, and I think they're both professionals in that scene. And just the, the idea of Al having to, to sleep with Marcy while Jefferson goes out to swap the doll, I think that's a great idea. Um, there wasn't a really great B plot, I would say. Um, you know, we see Bud briefly, uh, you know, coming home from work and complaining, and, we, you know, Kelly has the wig thing going on, um, which could have been better, you know, not a great B plot, but the A plot I did like. Uh, I thought there was a lot of laugh-out-loud moments in this uh, episode. Uh, we got to see Amber again, which everyone knows is a favorite support character of mine. So I'm going to give this one four Barbie dolls out of five. Very good. So Annabelle. How many Nurse Barbie belly buttons do you rate this episode? I feel similar, similarly to Chris. I do like this episode quite a bit. It's only when we sort of delve into it like we have that we sort of realize, oh, God, the continuity in this is is, is up the creek. But in terms of plot, you, you know, you say Al has to sleep next to Marcy. So, oh, that's that's going to be a good episode. Or, and then the way they've done it is is believable, just not the fact that Marcy has suddenly forgotten that she herself is an avid Barbie collector. So yes, uh, a lot happens in seven years, I suppose. It's this is an episode written and directed by the same person, which doesn't happen too much. Yes, I don't like the continuity goofs with Marcy and her Barbie collection and with the couch. It's just it's just convenience to do. It's just a plot convenience and contrivance. I, there's no B plot, as you say, really, because it's just Peg, Kelly, and Bud with their cameo scenes. Really, they sort of pepper throughout the episode, and I think they're really fun. And I like that we get a bit of inner dialogue of Kelly's too. And Kelly and Bud's lines are really good. When we were talking about that self awareness. Fun fact, well, not that fun, but um, the first time I saw this episode and Caroline, we were, Caroline, we were talking about uh, tape trading and I hadn't seen this episode for a long time until I got a copy of it from England and it was from it was broadcast on Sky One and Sky One back then used to censor the hell out of the show because they aired it pre-Watershed. It was on at like 6.30 and... Yeah, so I got it from my friend Aid Bundy, and it was heavily edited, this episode. It wasn't a few years later till I saw this episode uncut. I realized just how much was taken out. The entire scene with Amber was cut out. All Al's lines referring to, you know, Biggins being bigger than Bud's entire body. I think all lines like that were cut out. So I saw this episode sort of... Uh, two different versions and the second version the uncut version was much better I have to say <laughs> so it just goes to show just how raunchy this show is and 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 it is I mean there's a lot of um like we said killer zingers in this episode there's a lot of very funny lines 
yeah, I mean, you could talk about how much you like the plot and the, its contrivances and things like that till the cows come home, but it's a fun episode. I liked it. I was sort of hovering between a three and a half and a four, but I think on sort of laugh value alone, I might have to go with four Nurse Barbie belly buttons. Very good. Carolyn, how many Nurse Barbie belly buttons do you rate this episode? <laughs> Okay. Um, well, I kind of, I kind of, with Annabelle and Chris in a lot of ways. I always, I'm a big fan of Marcy. I liked, I always like looks at her harrowing, self-esteem destroying childhood. However, the inconsistency did bug me. I, I, I thought it, rang, it influenced my head. Guys and dolls. What happened to guys and dolls? That she's, she's always loved Barbies, and she did have, she did have at least one. That bugged me, but. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that Amanda played it very well. How much she, you know, how much she the, the need the neediness in her, the way she cuddles these dolls. I, I thought it was a good Jefferson episode too. It really reflected his carelessness through life and how greedy he is. But he does he does love Marcy. He wants to buy the perfect gift for her birthday. Okay, with her he'll, money. he'll buy it with, with her money. Yes, that's what the next thing I was going to say with her money. <laughs> But, you know, but, but he, 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 want, he wants to, he tries, he tries to die. <laughs> yeah, so, and um, there were some very good uh, physical and good reactions from Jefferson. Peg going full music nerd is always funny. <laughs> As you know, she, she, she dresses very, uh, very chicly, very modernly, but her, sometimes her tastes are way, way, way retro because she is from Lancaster County. And this one had showed up with all the silly songs and the concertina. I thought that was pretty funny. She went whole hog with that. That the kids had some great little scenes, like little little gem-like scenes with some great self-aware lines, which I always appreciate. I thought the relationship that we saw between Amber and Marcy was sweet, because remember Amber's story is that her, you know, her mom is pretty inattentive, kind of distant, letting her do whatever she wants, running wild. So I kind of like that Marcy and Amber are trying to have, you know, they're having like a sort of a sweet motherly relationship. And the last great thing I liked was the physical performances by Ed and Amanda. No, no matter how the situation was totally ridiculous in a lot of ways, because I, I know Marcy wears contacts, but her night vision is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the things she could hear and couldn't hear were very, very inconsistent. I mean, I was like, I was like, retching, I was watching in the toilet, like with the door open and she doesn't notice that. <laughs> However, like I said, it was just pitch perfect. The, uh, the physical comedy, and you could really feel Al's repulsion from Marcy. Now, he was just like so grossed out, but he was staying there because of his love of biggins. And I don't, what it says about both of them is really, really fun, really funny to think about. However, the plot, there are a lot of unnecessary complications in the plot. I didn't like the meeting the doll clerk in the middle of the night for some reason and suddenly gambling the money away at like three o'clock in the morning. Like, what kind of bookies does Jefferson know? I mean, <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, Al totally ignoring the kids bugs me a bit. I know that's his thing, but it was like it was like twice in one episode for both of them, and I thought that was kind of uh, a little cruel. Marcy is usually very sharp, but she was clueless tonight. You know, she she could not nothing. Made, she was totally suspicious in the first half of the episode. The second half of the episode, you know, she didn't notice anything. <laughs> she was like Colonel Quink of uh, Chicago all of a sudden, and, and and little things like like Al trusting Jefferson not to flake out on him. Jefferson is flaky. That's what he does. <laughs> so, yeah. So because of that, like Annabella, I had a lot of laughs. Like Chris, I appreciated the physical parts. So 
for me, this one gets four out of five Nurse Barbie belly buttons. Great. So I'm going to give this episode also for Nurse Barbie belly buttons. I think that you guys pretty much took the words out of my mouth. I, uh, I think you hit all the points that I would have hit. I was somewhere between a three and a half and a four on this. As a, you know, like you could call me like three and a half because you know that was like my standard, like a good Married with Children episode to me is a three and a half. Uh, there's probably some twos and ones coming up <laughs> uh, <laughs> as we get uh, closer and closer to season eleven, but uh, this was a solid episode. I mean, the continuity aspects with Guy and Dolls bothered me. You know, sort of that rule of three with Kelly and Bud. Uh, it, it's like, you know, I sort of like. I feel like the, the B plots were weak. I think I think they yeah. were constructed well, but they were weak. The comedy between Alan Marcy, I think that was great. Jefferson's lines in this, I, I think it that's what made it good. And I, I think you guys sort of just, you know, highlighted to me what I do like about the episode. Like, you know, sort of that laugh out loud feature. I think the, the laugh out loud aspects. And I think that the zingers, that's sort of what brings it over the top for me to make it a four. So... This is not an all-star episode, but it's a straight four. And I don't think we've had like a, a straight four <laughs> in, in okay. quite some time. But yeah, uh, four out of five. Solid. Yep. All right. So before we wrap this up, Carolyn, I just want to thank you so much again uh, for joining oh. us. You know, I really, you know, I, I can say I really enjoyed uh, recording Nooner or Later and Right Scare with you. We had such a great time in last mm. season, so we definitely wanted to have you back, and we hope you have you back again sometime. I'd love it. Yeah, there's been a rumor going around that uh, you know, there's going to be a meeting of Fang soon. I, I heard that Annabelle is going to be chairing a uh, a women's only roundtable uh, with the, all of the women fan of the podcast. So uh, I'm actually really excited to uh, hear that. Yes, so if there's any other women out there who would be interested, please let me know. Um, hopefully planning for it to be between seasons 9 and 10. So after we finish this season, we might get that Fang roundtable, but we'll see. That'll be great. It'd be, it'd be great to have like to hear like uh, the perspective of other women. Yeah, yeah, and I, I already mentioned it to Carolyn, and she's on board, and I'm so, I'm so glad. And I'm hoping to get uh, Jamie and Christine and um, Alyssa, and you know, whoever wants to do it is is welcome. I know a couple of other people I could ask as well. Um, a friend of mine who's a, a big Peg fan, and um, yeah, yeah, we'll check, we'll uh, yeah, we'll ask around. But I'll put an announcement on the on the group at some stage. Yeah, like, like I've said in the past, you know, I, I've, I've mentioned this before. It's like I've met a lot of women through the years that are like, they thought that show to be very misogynistic. And, you know, there are obviously misogynistic elements to make a joke, but I think that a lot of people get, get lost in the sarcasm. Like, in other words, the sarcasm they're trying to convey to us. And it's like, I feel like they're equal opportunity. It's like they make fun of everyone. I mean, if anyone, the one who, oh, yeah. who, who is... Uh, treated the worst in the whole show is the star himself you know it's like usually he's the one who loses yeah. it's not the women in the, uh, exactly, in the episode yeah. so uh, that's the contrast right yeah and if this episode has a winner it's Marcy 
she's the only one who gets everything she wants. There's no sacrifice. Right. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, Al had to sacrifice him in the end to you know, get to give it to Peg. Yep, yep. And and uh, Jefferson lost his, lost, won and lost uh, $2,000 and then another 50000 <laughs> Bud gets horribly injured. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Ke- Kel- Kelly forgets how to walk upstairs. It's bad. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> All right. Okay, so next week on the Married with Children podcast... Team Australia will be reviewing No Pot to Pizza. When Kelly auditions for a part in a Fox Network sitcom, she happens to mention some stories about her family, which the producer likes better than the original script. This is going to be a huge episode, and we are going to have a really big reveal on that particular episode. So tune in next time. Same Bundy time, same Bundy channel. (laughs) 